0: do you really care about the people that work for you or not? Do you really care about them as individuals? And from that standpoint, because you care about them and want to see them be successful in their growth and development, then you're able to be even more intentional about your coaching, your developing of them, and making sure that they are aligned to the overall organization goals and what needs to happen.
1: Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Ways of Working podcast, your weekly dose of practical tips for leaders who are trying to gain that high performance edge without burning themselves or their teams out. Now, before you put down your phone or click away from this window, make sure you hit follow or subscribe on your preferred platform of choice to make sure you don't miss any future episodes of the Ways of Working podcast with our incredible experts and guests. This week, we are talking to the incredible Alex Smith. Alex is the Chief HR Officer for the City of Memphis. Alex is also the 2022 HRD Global HR 100 Leader, the 2021 Memphis Business Journal Top 40 Under 40, the 2021 Memphis Urban Elite, and a raft of other accolades. So clearly she knows what she's talking about when it comes to the world of HR. One thing that I'm particularly excited about is Alex was recognized by Today magazine as the CHRO of the year and the work that she did for positioning the city of Memphis as a model for city government for the 21st century. Alex, wow. Welcome to the show. How are you?
0: Hello. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here, Jimmy.
1: Amazing. So first of all, Clearly, the city of Memphis is doing something right, but tell us a little bit about some of the work you've been up to for the last few years that has resulted in these incredible accolades, but also I'm sure making a significant difference to the city.
0: Absolutely. Well, I would say our focus here at the city of Memphis has been about making life better for Memphians every day. And uh, it has its own set of challenges in doing that. Uh, But from a human resources perspective, putting in programs to help not only attract talent, especially people who may not have traditionally looked at government uh, as a place to work, uh, as well as looking at innovative ways on how we can retain talent uh, and grow and develop talent as well. And so uh, I've spent the bulk of uh, my last seven years and in particular the last three um, really focused on the challenge of how do you attract and retain talent, particularly in one of the toughest labor markets uh, I think that anyone has seen um, due to the pandemic.
1: Absolutely. And what was it that attracted you initially to working in central government? What was what was the route in?
0: Well, uh, from my uh, beginnings as a, as a young child, uh, my parents were in public service and I always had a heart for service and helping others. And so when I had the opportunity to combine two things that I love, which is human resources and uh, being able to work in the public sector, I wanted to take advantage of that opportunity and come to Memphis and, and really do some good work. Um, and when we think about it, the, the core work of, of helping to support those who are supporting others, especially uh, people in their darkest moments, um, is, is truly life-changing work. And so it's, it's been an honor to serve here in this public sector capacity.
1: Fantastic. And I, I kept on hearing that word service and being of service coming up. And I know that we're going to go into this in a little bit more detail. But for those listeners who might be sitting thinking, hmm, service, I'm of service. We're talking about something different, right? We're talking about servant leadership and being of service in the way you do your professional work. So could you tell us a little bit more about what is servant leadership?
0: So I truly see servant leadership as being in a a, a core mindset. Uh, and that mindset is truly being at service to other people to help other people win uh, and help the organization win. And so what does that look like? It, what it means is you know understanding goal alignment and how your goals connect to others and seeing where you can uh, help to uh, get others across the finish line. Uh, it also means helping to remove blockers uh, and things that are challenging Uh, locating resources, helping to make sure that those that work for you have what they need to be successful, but those who are peers of yours uh, have what they need to be successful, as well as your your upper leadership. Uh, I really do see servant leadership as being about the focus of uh, making sure that everyone has what they need to really help the organization be successful.
1: I love that. We talk a lot in my practice around the concept of the icebreaker leader. And we have there's there's kind of two definitions of an icebreaker, right? There's the the warm-up activity you do at the start of an interview or at the start of a conference where you make everybody feel safe and a little bit more relaxed so they can do their best work, be their best selves. And then there's the other side of the icebreaker, which is that ship that sails in front of the flotilla and break literally breaks the ice and it gets the ice out of the way so the other ships can sail through effectively and speedily. And I think servant leadership has a lot to do with both of those, right? How how do you see them linking up?
0: Well, I think that there's an important part of of understanding, number one, where the organization should be going and doing what you can to help uh, push and support those around you to move in that direction. But I do see that there's an important opportunity of service and and looking at how you can um, really, as as you kind of talk about the iceberg model, Break away those things that are keeping people from being able to reach their height of success. And whether that is, um, you know, the lack of collaboration, and so you're the one who's the convener that's helping to organize meetings uh, or resources, and you're helping to locate uh, grants or, or resources or funding or lobbying for support uh, to help make sure that your team has what they need, um, or as well as uh, helping to even roll up your own sleeves. Uh, and get in there and, and be able to fill in the gaps where it needed. But I think this understanding that it's not about you, it's about the organization, and it's not about uh, just the success of your team, but it's about the success of the organization. To me, that is the, the this notion of of kind of selfless leading and focusing in on helping everyone achieve.
1: I'm so aligned. We had an amazing conversation with Kelly Jensen, who is the senior director of talent planning and succession from Walmart a couple of weeks ago. And she was saying that leaders need to think in an enterprise way. They need to consider the needs of the organization, not just the needs of maybe themselves or their immediate team or their specific business unit, but actually thinking holistically across the enterprise. And I like the way you do that. Can you give us an example of one of the programs, one of the initiatives that you've rolled out that's helped encourage that? idea of servant leadership, and what were some of the barriers to getting it off the ground that you had?
0: (laughs) Well, I think one of the most important, and this was truly actually during the pandemic, was we looked at opportunities uh, where people could uh, serve in, I'll call stretch assignments or uh, or high potential opportunities um, in the organization. Uh, And because we're city government and we had to help lead the vaccination effort in this area, um, things like Actually running a vaccination center or running a call center or running a contact tracing center, um, helping to uh, identify suppliers uh, so that we could get necessary PPP out to individuals. Um, It was really important to to identify individuals who had um, a willingness to serve and strong leadership abilities uh, to be put into these critical roles. Uh, And we didn't have a lot of time. So the the program in itself (laughs) was, you know, really quickly identifying um, our high potentials and placing them in these key areas where we knew we needed support and help. Uh, And this one of those things where it was life or death, you know, either either we were going to successfully do this, but failure was not an option uh, and we needed people that were willing to rise to the occasion. And uh, I am so proud to say we found people that were willing to do so in every single area of our organization. uh, And we were able to help this area get through
1: the pandemic because of that. It's so interesting you know, to hear a real world application of leadership versus you know, what I would call the BAU. But actually, when we're talking crisis management in a pandemic, you had to start thinking a bit differently, right? You had to look at how do we identify these high potential people who are capable of leading initiatives in a crisis and selecting them and putting them through a development program, getting them into action as quickly as possible. And yet, normally in an organization, the talent identification process is a kind of a, a once-year a thing. How did you do it differently at such speed?
0: Well, one of the things is we had already been in the discipline of talking about talent uh, as a part of our performance review process. We had a cali- we have a calibration process where we talk about. The leaders in the organization, who's ready for uh, new opportunities, uh, what I'll call a hot jobs, hot people uh, type of discussion. So we were already in that practice for many, many years. So when it came to uh, what I'll call kind of this uh, rapid fire uh, identification and placement, um, once we started meeting as a part of our kind of our emergency team management and meeting on a, on a daily basis, it became easy to identify people to be able to do different things. Um, we also um, spent time really working with our leaders to identify different skill sets uh, so that when we said, okay, we need some people that know how to organize data quickly, we need people that understand uh, how to use the software technology, particularly cloud-based technology, uh, we were able to quickly identify those people as well uh, and be able to, to uh, uh, help, uh, place them where we needed them. I also would say what was another important component is the rewarding factor. Uh, So we also uh, already had a spot bonus uh, performance program that we had in place, and so we were able to leverage that as well as other compensation mechanisms to be able to help compensate people for these extra duties, too. So having those things already in place or being able to think quickly about how to best support the organization uh, in need, all of those things matter, uh, being able to to get the, uh, the right behaviors going.
1: It reminds me of that, um, I don't know if it's a Japanese or a Chinese proverb, I'm probably going to murder it as well, but it's that the best time to plant a tree was 100 years ago, the second best time is today. And when you had already put in place those talent management processes and had started to have those conversations as part of your BAU, if we were to think about some of the early stage conversations that could potentially happen if I'm a CEO or a senior leadership team member sitting around going... I wonder who my talent is. I wonder who my high potential people are. And when the next crisis comes along, I don't want to be left wanting. Where would those conversations start? How would they start to happen?
0: Well, I think first of all, it, it happens actually, I would say day one, when you're hiring talent um, and you're talking about their goals and, and what does success look like in the organization. And you can start to identify uh, people's attributes, what they're interested in, what they're good at. Um, and so we do encourage a uh, strong manager uh, one on ones and uh, having those conversations. I think the next component, in terms of being able to identify that leadership for the next level, is where those talent calibration discussions come in. Uh, so, at least on an annual basis, meeting together as a senior leadership team and talking through you know, your top talent, um, where they are, who's being successful. Um, is is a good practice as well, so that you can keep people top of mind, uh, and and that helps too. I think there's also an important point, and I can't reiterate enough, enough, the importance of having reward mechanisms, and so we have an annual uh, employee recognition ceremony called Ovation Awards, where we uh, allow for peer nominations for people who have done amazing things in the organization, Uh, and so even things like that where we're able to allow for peers to nominate people it helps people stay top of mind uh, in terms of uh, achievements and uh, collaborations and, and successes that people have been able to have. And so, all of those mechanisms um, the one on ones, the staff meetings, the annual performance review, the employee recognition programs, um, and just overall success within different teams helps you to identify talent uh, when uh, you need it the most.
1: I'm fascinated by these Ovation Awards. Tell tell us some of the incredible things that have been done in the business. Who were the winners?
0: Oh wow! So it, it, we, had, you know, each year it, it varies, but everything from um, we had someone who uh, started a a uh, a youth boxing league um, that made a difference in curbing crime and, and youth attainment in in a community. We had someone who started a uh, Spanish learning immersion program. Um, that really made a difference in one of the communities. We had, of course, a team that implemented cloud technology um, uh, for multiple business units um, that was recognized. And so every year, there there are different teams that are recognized for different things, but the exciting part is this idea that not only are they peer nominated, but seeing the diversity of different things. It's not just dominated by one division, um, but each division has its own level of success um, that we're able to recognize in uh, and the, and the teamwork. Um, and most importantly, people really knowing that they're successful. I think that that acknowledgement um, just through a nomination, even if they're not the winner, but just that nomination of, hey, I did something that is noteworthy, that I should feel proud of, um, has really uh, helped us by leaps and bounds uh, from a cultural standpoint. Plus, it's nice to get people together, have some food, have some music, right? uh, <laughs> some awards, a picture or two. Uh, you know, so all of those things are, are great as well.
1: And it it feels like what the city of Memphis is doing is trying to create uh, a curious culture, a learning culture, a growth culture. But I love the idea, we go right back to the start of our discussion around that servant leadership. Actually, it starts with that, there's one-on-one conversations. And one of those questions might be, what are your hidden skills or what are the things you really want to do that are going to make a difference to our city, to our team, our business unit, whatever, wherever you may be sitting and how do I support you to get there? How do I support you to achieve that? And I remember from our previous conversation, you mentioned that it's almost like parenting in, in terms of the way that are, you want your leaders to interact and to ask those exploring questions to encourage their teams to, to, to try some new stuff. And that might end up with an innovation award, sure, but it, it's certainly going to end up with more engagement and more satisfaction. What are your thoughts on the parallels between parenting and great leadership?
0: So as a mother of two, I'm exploring this idea uh, <laughs> as well as of, of the, this, this idea of being you know, really responsible for the care and feeding of employees, just like you're responsible for the care and feeding of your children. Um, and, and not in the way of your being patriarchal or, or dictating, but more in the spirit of, you know, you play a role in their growth and development. And so being intentional about how do you want to grow and develop um, your children, just like you're intentional about how you want to grow and develop your employees. Um, being intentional about the values that are important to you. So, if you want to have a collaborative environment where people are problem solving and co creating together, then similarly in the household, you should create an environment where people are collaborating and co creating together, not us versus them. Um, so, it's, it's a really more about actually this intentionality. I think that's where the, the parallels are and understanding the responsibility. So it's no mm-hmm. longer about just positional authority of I'm a supervisor and I get paid more money and you're going to just do what I say. But it's more about the responsibility of, no, it is my responsibility to to help grow and develop and 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 ensure that this talent um, is reaching their potential, just like I, I do at home with my children. So um, that's that's really where I'm, I'm really starting to make this exploration and seeing um, these cross paths. So, you know, just like I make a vision statement here at work, I'm looking at how do I make a vision statement at home? Where, where do I want my children to go? Um, and, and how do I help them get there? Um, this idea around collaboration. Um, if I expect teams uh, internally to collaborate, not just say, oh, it's so-and-so's fault or, or et cetera for things not getting done, then I should have the same spirit of collaboration at home, too. So that both of them are working together. So everybody uh, must get their homework done before anybody watches TV and we have to do these things together. So um, I think that this idea of uh, not compartmentalizing work from home, that some of the same skills that you build at work can work at home and some of the skills that you build at home can can help you at work and uh, understanding that uh, congruency between the two.
1: Hey there, Jimmy here. I just wanted to drop in on this episode and say an enormous thank you for all of the amazing reviews and testimonials and feedback we're getting about the Ways of Working podcast. Top 10% globally and absolutely thrilled to be there bringing as much value as we can from the Ways of Working community to you, our listeners. I wanted to drop a quick note of one of the beautiful reviews that was left by Jenny m 49 Thank you so much, Jenny, for that kind review. Jenny says, for those people who want to gain a practical, Practical performance edge full of practical tips in every episode, tune in here. Jenny, we really appreciate your feedback. Thank you so much and hope that you, our listeners, will follow and subscribe using your favorite podcast platform of choice and bring every episode to share value, knowledge and expertise from our incredible guests. Take care. Speak soon. That was my next question for sure. What have your kids taught you that you brought to work?
0: (laughs) Well, one thing, I, for sure, patience <laughs> um, and, and adaptability and flexibility. Um, but also, I think this idea around um, the importance of relationship. So I really do think I missed the market first when I became a parent, um, that having that relationship with your children, um, just, it's just as important as you need to have a relationship from a manager to an employee. And just as we talked about the importance of those one-on-ones, because those one-on-ones are when you get to learn people's interests, what's working, what's not working, as where you can provide feedback, redirection. Well, you know, we have structured one-on-ones at work, but I wasn't having structured one-on-ones at home uh, until recently I started to be intentional of, okay, let me make sure I have individual time with each child. Uh, And through that, I've learned a lot about the importance of that relationship and building that relationship with each child and each family member and being intentional about it once again, just as you are at work. Uh, Mm -hmm. And through that, you're able to have empathy and understanding, but you're also able to actually be more effective because you really understand the people, you understand what they need and want. And your emotional intelligence can really be at work in terms of making sure you're providing the right level resources and really being the servant that you wanna be uh, in terms of helping them win.
1: Absolutely, no, I'm, I'm so fascinated by this paradigm of parental leadership, service leadership in the workplace. And you know one of the things that I think we see often leaders at all levels, but particularly senior leaders is that their expectations on their staff changes from what they might have as the expectations of their children. So for example, you want your kids to go out and explore things. You want them to try new things. And if they fall over, you pick them up and you dust them off and you make sure they're not bleeding too badly. And then you send them on their way to go try again. But in an organization at that senior level, we seem to have this perception that the cost of failure is catastrophic or career ending or terminal. How can leaders bring that servant parental leadership cure, you know, go, go explore, go try some stuff, collaborate, work together, work with your brother and sister, um, into the workplace where it's hey team i want you to try some stuff and and this is how we can do it how, how do they transition that in a natural way
0: well I, I think that this idea of that first of all that one-on-one relationship and that and building that empathy um i i think that helps uh, and once again really focusing in on do you really care about the people that work for you or not do you really care about them as as individuals Uh, and, And from that standpoint, because you care about them and want to see them be successful in their growth and development, then you're able to be even more intentional about your coaching of them and your developing of them and making sure that they are aligned to the overall organization goals and what needs to happen. And so once you are able to have that established relationship, that caring, and that alignment around the goals, then you can create an environment where. You don't have to be as risk averse because you understand that they understand what you need and your perspective and you understand them. And then you're able to give better redirection and guidance uh, within those parameters to really help them be successful and for them to explore, but explore of course with some guardrails because Mm -hmm. you've given that, that perspective, Um, but they're able to, to do it in an informed way. And, And so I think that their relationship, that, that sharing of the strategy and that understanding um, that all can create a, the right culture um, so that people can take risk, um, but take intelligent risk um, yeah. within the organization. And then because you have that relationship, if something needs to be uh, have a, a change, of course, or it needs to be redirected, you have the relationship to do so. And they won't see it as you are an indictment on them as a person. They'll see it as you're giving them feedback so that they can be successful. And so Mm -hmm. I I think that that's where it matters
1: the most. It's wonderful. I keep finding these moments where we keep overlapping on the things we think about. And you mentioned the word care. We know from the McKinsey research that the number one reason most people leave their organizations is because their leader doesn't care. And yet when you go and talk to leaders, 99.9% of leaders go, of course I care. So we've got this care dissonance. I don't feel cared about, but my leader says they care about me. How, in that one-on-one conversation, what are some of the questions that you as a senior leader would be asking to try and get to the bottom of, I care about you and let's build a relationship of empathy and care together?
0: Well, I, one thing I will say is you can't go into a meeting saying, say, let's build a relationship of empathy. And, you know, Absolutely. It, <laughs> it has to be more, more authentic than that. Um, and so when I have my one-on-ones, I talk with my, particularly my director of course, and I coach other leaders to do this as well, ask them about them. What are they interested in? What do they want to do? Where are they from? What brought them here? Um, What would they like to do next? Uh, And and really ask those getting to know you questions that that is the beginning of showing that you have a genuine interest in someone and that you care about them. the the basis of any human relationship is you asking someone about uh, and not leading the conversation just with you and what you want and what's important to you, um, but asking them. Uh, So I think taking the time to to once again build that individual relationship and to ask those questions, uh, I think is important. I think the second component is that authenticity and vulnerability as a leader. So people appreciate it when you come to them and say, hey, hey, I don't have all the answers, but I like to hear your perspective or your point of view or something. Uh, and even if you disagree, you can respectfully disagree, but it, but it doesn't mean that, um, that they're not valued because you disagree. So I think mm-hmm. that, that ability to be vulnerable, to say, you know, this is what I know, this is what I don't know, or here's what I'm challenged with as a leader, uh, asking people their opinion as well. Um, and you couple that with you've already had some introductory conversations, getting to know them as a person. All of that creates a, a beautiful um, opportunity where you can show care and concern um, yeah. and build that type of rapport with each other.
1: Mm. It's, what I'm hearing is that this is not a process. This is a personal relationship. And it keeps going back to this human connection first, right?
0: Human connection first. Absolutely. Absolutely. People... Will go to the ends of earth for others that they really believe really care about them mm-hmm. and, and um, believe they have a genuine interest in wanting to see the mission be successful and see them be successful as people.
1: Oh, absolutely incredible. And once I know that I've built a relationship with somebody in my team and we've decided that we're clear on the mission and vision of the organization, we've set some objectives. And we want that person to now go off and start exploring. What are some of the things I could do that might be on the job development opportunities or stretch assignments that are going to allow that person to grow and shine and potentially get an ovation award, but potentially just do some great work?
0: Well, one thing I'll say is no, every organization has no shortage of problems, right? (laughs) Everybody has big, big, hairy, audacious goals or or big challenges that they're faced with, uh, especially during the pandemic and even post-pandemic now, uh, and so those beautiful problems that come up, um, those are excellent opportunities for you to give someone an opportunity to stretch themselves and to um, really work on what. How do we solve this problem? And work with others on how to solve the problem. So I love the on-the-job experiences of cross-functional teams, cross-functional task force. Um, you know. Tasking someone with with solving a problem that's there for the organization, whether it's, you know, you're having high call volume or you're having uh, increasing expenses and you're asking, hey, can you do a deep dive on this and give me some recommendations on how to solve that, Um, whether big or small, those problems and giving somebody the opportunity to to get creative and think through um, how to solve that for the organization Those are wonderful, wonderful opportunities to grow and develop people uh, on the job. Uh, I think also whenever you have turnover, uh, I I think that's a great opportunity um, where if somebody's leaving and you need someone to fill in uh, in the interim while you're searching for a new person or you give somebody the opportunity to maybe uh, have a job enlargement uh, and and take on a a few more responsibilities, uh, those are great opportunities too. Um, and so always be thinking about how you can grow and develop people and build different capabilities. Uh, one thing I know to be true, and I think any uh, personal trainer will tell you this, is that you can't build muscle without working the muscle. And for so sure. being intentional about giving people opportunities to grow and develop um, in whatever areas are important for them, uh, you got to give them opportunities in practice and practice and, and creating the environment to, to do that. Uh, It is important.
1: I heard a critical statement there is the areas that are important to them, because then they're going to be motivated to do that. So understanding what's important to them, understanding whether they're looking for that stretch assignment now, or actually they just had a new child or they've got a sick um, member of the family at home. And so their eyes right now is the priority is somewhere else and adapting and flexing the plan to meet the needs of the business based on the talent and the capability you've got is absolutely critical. Have you got any amazing examples of where you've been stretched in in your own career that has allowed you to grow and develop to where you are now?
0: Absolutely. Um, I, have, I have a few different examples. So uh, early in my career, uh, I started off in HR uh, and then I took the bold move to leave HR and go into the operations and uh, join uh, the customer uh, experience team. Um, and it was two years of of really really challenging work everything from learning a new vernacular um, because hr has its own way of speaking and doing things and then actually going into the operations and having to learn different um, important metrics different uh, words definitions and rhythms and things like that Um, all of that was a big stretch uh But one of the things that was very, very important to me at the time, and it still is, is building both breadth and depth. So understanding, um, you know, challenges from a multitude of different perspectives uh, and then being able to uh, meet other people and and understand different experiences, etc. So that experience of going into the operations, I learned a lot about. Uh, customer success, customer success mapping, inset scores and things of that nature. And so uh, moving years down the line, now in this role as head of HR, everything from uh, the way that I look at employee engagement surveys and how uh, we stack against other organizations and how do we look at uh, getting employee feedback and and responding to that, uh, to also looking at that customer journey mapping. So in Mm -hmm. particular, um, we've improved our time to feel. Uh, and, and a part of that was really mapping out the journey um, and what's the type of experience we wanted candidates to have and, and most importantly, how we wanted our hiring managers to interact with that process so that we could create the best candidate experience we could, uh, as well as shortening the time frame. So that experience of, of stepping into operations really gave me exposure to a number of different ways of how different businesses can operate and how to think about the customer experience. And I've been able to translate that to HR.
1: Amazing. And how did your leader support you as you stepped from an HR role into an operational role? What support did you get?
0: So I, I actually was able to get support both from um, my the leadership in HR at the time, as well as my mentors as well. Uh, and one of the things that I, I found really important is being able to have peer mentors and get extra support. Um, because whenever you make a big change like that, you're really learning a new language, you learning a new culture, etc. And so it's good to have Uh, coaching and mentorship from others. So they can say, hey, you know, when you're doing your PowerPoint, you might want to do it this way because in this environment, they like to see it in this particular way. Or, you know, you want to make sure you set up your calls at 5 a.m. so you can hit all the major time zones (laughs) Um, because, you know, APAC is 12 hours ahead and, and, you know, London's in the middle. And so you you, uh, might need to set your schedule up a little bit differently. And all those things uh, and, and advice was really helpful.
1: I love that. And the the idea of having that servant leader sitting behind you to be supportive and encourage you and it allow you to explore some, as you say, some whole new paradigms just sounds a gift and has clearly set you up for, for success in, in the current role. Just as we move to finish up, what's exciting on the rest of the year's agenda for you? <laughs>
0: Well, um, we are at the end of our term, so um, we are uh, term limited, and uh, we've served two terms, so uh, our last day here is December 31st, 2023, and so uh, this year is all about the the year of transition and how do we help uh, not only have good standard operating procedures, but um, really good understanding information about our organization so that we can have a uh, succinct, and, and peaceful transfer of power uh, into the next administration, and so a lot of my energy is is really spent towards how do we make sure we codify everything we've done, make sure we captured our lessons learned uh, and good practices so that we can can pass that on and, and help continue the momentum for the city of Memphis.
1: Fantastic, sounds like some incredible work underway, and I know the city of Memphis is extremely grateful for all of the hard work that you and your team are doing. If people want to get in touch, if they want to learn more about the work you do and the inspiration that you provide, what's the best way for them to reach out?
0: They can find me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm at C H R O Alex Smith. Um, I'm also on Instagram and Twitter, and definitely can connect with me at any of those platforms uh, and uh, hear more about what's happening with me and uh, what's happening uh, with our work here at the City of Memphis.
1: Fantastic. And we'll make sure that we pop in the links in the show notes. So you can find all the details to contact Alex right below this episode. Alex, thank you so, so much for taking us on an incredible journey through servant leadership, through the concepts of collaboration, through a little bit of parental leadership as well. And then finally, into how we manage stretch assignments, risk tolerance, and all of the other things that are going on in the city of Memphis. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Jimmy that's it for this week's episode of the ways of working podcast if you enjoyed the conversation here why not head over to jimmyburrows.com forward slash book and grab chapter one of our amazing upcoming book beat burnout ignite performance it's the leader's playbook for building a high performance culture so if you're looking for practical tips and to understand why people in your team or yourself are burning out and what to do about it so you can all keep working and perform better this is the place for you go to jimmyburrows.com forward slash book and grab that first chapter we'll also keep you posted when the full book is released very soon also if you enjoyed this episode of the ways of working podcast don't forget to follow or subscribe on your preferred podcast platform of choice and we'll make sure that you get all of the upcoming episodes as they come out every single week take care speak soon